engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hey there, it's Eric Erickson here from the resurgent.com and WSB radio. Uh by request, uh, doing this uh, an excerpt from Before You Wake, uh, more about so you know what you're getting, The Theology of Suffering. That was actually going to be the title of Chapter 2. Uh, my editor suggested a change and changed it to Summer in the South, but essentially what Chapter 2 of the book is, is The Theology of Suffering. Here we go. I wrote this, you should know, in February of 2017, just for the setup. Here you go. Here is what is happening as I'm writing this. Exactly seven days ago, Gunner was in surgery, having his tonsils and adenoids removed. Five days ago, Christie had surgery to reattach her retina. For the last week... I have gotten up at midnight, 4 a.m. and 6 a.m., to give Gunner pain medicine. For the first few days, Christy had to have pain medicine, too. Thankfully, my in-laws stayed with us for the week. I cooked and stayed up through the night. They did the laundry, got Evelyn back and forth to school, and helped her with her homework while taking care of Gunner and Christy during the day. I worked all day. In addition to being up all night, I still had my radio show to do in the evening. I found myself staying up till midnight to give Gunner his first dose of medicine and, in the quiet part of the night, doing as much work as I could, including writing this. Every time I wake Gunner up to give him his medicine, he screams and fights me for close to 20 minutes. He will spit out his medicine multiple times. We will go through multiple shirts. Then he will finally wear down, be still, and submit. I am not sure there is a better analogy to God. Be still and know that I am Dad, to paraphrase the scripture. What my kids do not see is me staying up after Gunner has gone back to sleep and wiping tears out of my eyes. It hurts me to see my wife and my kids in pain. Gunner's screams are so terrible. He cannot talk. He holds his throat with his hands and tries to cover his ears with his elbows. When that does not work, he moves his hands back and forth from covering his ears to covering his throat. I knew the doctor said his ears would hurt after having his adenoids out, but I had no idea how badly. One of the things I see happening more and more in the world is people trying to sterilize themselves from pain. They want to shield themselves. I want to shield my kids from pain. I want to shield my wife from pain. But pain is a part of the process. How do we really appreciate joy if we have not known misery? How do we appreciate comfort if we have not known pain? If nothing else, there is certainly a theology to pain and suffering. I have a preacher friend who tells a story about pain from an old church. There were three women, all of whom had cancer. The first took an oral chemotherapy. Her hair stayed. She had no nausea, but she had chronic pain, a rash, and sores in her mouth. The second woman took traditional chemotherapy. She lost weight, had nausea, and her hair fell out. The third woman had done it all and nothing worked. All she had to do now was prepare to die. The first woman looked at the second and, despite her sores and pain, was glad she kept her hair in figure. The second looked at the first and thought losing her hair was a far better trade than being in pain and aching all the time. 
They both looked at the third woman and realized they thought they were going through a rough patch. At least their treatment was working. The third woman looked at the first two and was glad it was done. Relieved her struggle had ended and was prepared to meet her maker. All three women looked at a fourth woman in the church who had lost her son in a bombing. They all thought that though they had terrible struggles, at least they did not have to deal with the pain of losing a son. But that fourth woman consoled herself that her son would never have to go through the struggles of those other women or see his own mother struggle or suffer. I cannot tell you how often I've dwelled on this. I see in my own life, in my family's life, a change in our perspective on others suffering through our own. There's a couple not far from us who have a gravely ill son. His older brother had the same illness and died. They are the nicest, godliest people. Evelyn prays for them regularly, and her mood is often affected by whether or not the family has had a good day or bad. She often openly wonders why God would do that to a family. We look at our struggles and think that at least our children, despite pain and discomfort, are with us. We also see how much more empathetic and sympathetic we are. This is not a boast, but a reality. Christy and I and the kids, we know now from our own struggles that sometimes a home-cooked meal for another family in need is the best thing to do. In our suffering, even though it's different, we're able to relate to other people's suffering. Their pain and struggle shapes our prayers. I remember a preacher coming into our Sunday school class one day to talk about suffering and death. He told us of a lady in his church who had been in a car wreck. Her daughter died. He said people flooded the lady's hospital room to comfort her as she lay there, broken, bruised, and crying. No one could console her. Then the door opened and her best friend walked in. She climbed into the hospital bed, held the lady, and they cried. These are abstract things when you've not experienced them, and many of us have not. In our quest to shield ourselves from suffering and pain, we are losing an ability to relate to and care for other people. To suffer is to live. Living requires suffering. The steady flow of conformity, comfort, and convenience takes away appreciation for the good times. It takes away the good times. In 16 years of marriage, Christy and I have only had a few years that we were not dealing with her health or mine. The first six years of our marriage were punctuated by one hospital stay or another. We had Evelyn and then Christie's near-death experience with her lung biopsy. Then we had Gunner. Through Christie's pregnancy with Gunner, she had to take blood thinner shots every day. There are only so many jokes you can make about the bruises before you go gallows humor. It looked like I was beating her up. For nine months, she took those shots and then Gunner came into the world. The last traumatic act of his birth was his grandmother declaring he looked far more like the delivery room doctor than me. That was awkward. After Gunner's birth, it was smooth sailing for several years, but last year the bottom fell out. It began, as so much pain and misery begins, with CrossFit. In 2015, I decided to get myself back in shape. I hate the gym. I don't mind exercise, but the gym can be so boring. CrossFit looked fun. I discovered I had several prominent members of the CrossFit community who read my website, listened to my radio show. They were encouraging, so I did it. I actually enjoyed it, but God help me, I could not keep up. I gasped for air like a fish flailing about on the floor of a boat. I kept telling myself it would get better, but it didn't get better, and by Christmas I was done. I just couldn't keep up. I was going to a trainer a few days a week, so I bought him a set of CrossFit weights and medicine balls and decided we could take it slow, but keep at it. It never got better. 
I took Gunner to see Star Wars The Force Awakens, and it literally left me breathless. So breathless, my wife rushed me to the emergency room thinking I was having a heart attack. I thought I was just having some sort of cosmic near-sexual experience now that Star Wars was back. According to the doctor, everything was fine. Had to be allergies. Of course, it wasn't. It was the clots. Christy had the cancer, and I had the blood clots. I remember getting checked into the cardiac ICU and the doctor on the floor happened to look at my scan. Have you taken this body to the morgue yet? He asked. When they told him it was me, he popped his head in to congratulate me on being alive. A year after my clotting episode, I had another lung episode and had to go to the emergency room. The doctor on call came into the little holding room where I was and asked how I was still living, considering my scans from last year. It is never a good feeling when everyone tells you you should be dead. Remember the three women in my friend's church? It occurred to me that the greatest ministry we have for other people is often our suffering. In our family struggles, others have found a purpose. We've had friends who made it their mission to pray for us. Others cooked for us. Others picked up the kids from school when we could not drive. Our suffering helped other people find a use, often at moments they otherwise felt useless. Our suffering also let others know they really did not have it as bad as they thought. For that matter, even in our suffering, Christy and I realized how much better we have it than some. By being open about our struggles and our health, others felt comfortable finally opening up about their struggles. Christy and I found ourselves becoming more compassionate to others than we had ever been before. We were never self-absorbed, but we certainly didn't appreciate the strains and struggles in people's lives like we do now. Had we not suffered... I also would have never learned to make chicken and dumplings for Christy. It's Christy's favorite comfort food. One of the ladies in our Sunday school class brought us a pot of it after our hospital surgeries. Christy started craving it, but was too shy to beg for it. I finally had to take it upon myself to learn how to make it. I even learned how to roll out the dumplings all by myself. If we had not gone through what we went through, I would still not know how to do that. Something else that became even more distinct after our struggles was a recognition that we can find common ground with people we might otherwise not be able to relate to. Living in the spotlight, I have made it a habit to be open about my life. I try to relate to my listeners on my radio show. They're an extended family, but in writing about our struggles, I find that others who might disagree with me on politics were reaching out with prayers and well wishes. All of this makes me worry about the future. Human beings have become so good at sterilizing themselves and desensitizing themselves to suffering. When people suffer, they want it to end. If the suffering will not end, they are ready to end their lives. I hear more and more stories of people who, after discovering they have a terminal disease, do not want to suffer. They do not want their families and friends to have to deal with the suffering. They do not want anyone to have their last memory be of their loved one's suffering. So they end things before the suffering gets underway. I understand that desire. Christy, having at a young age seen her mother die of cancer, has been very insistent that if she gets to that point, she wants someone to end it for her so we don't have to witness her suffering. I'm in no position to judge or to throw stones. I do wonder, though, if we were depriving others of some purpose or peace we do not understand by not going through the suffering. By depriving people of our suffering, are we also depriving others of the chance to find their purpose or to realize their lives are better than they think? Are we, by ending it before the agony, depriving a child of the impetus to go to medical school to find cures for cancer? As I see much of my family's suffering and how it's helped others in the community, the more I wonder... What will happen as society eliminates suffering altogether? The struggle for life and survival is inspirational in ways submission and retreat are not. Truly to each his own, I know from my own and my own family's suffering 
that there are others who have suffered far more, and while I may be more empathetic, I still cannot truly relate to their level of suffering. But I also see how people's suffering opens doors and eyes and hearts. For the rest of this chapter, and for the whole book, text the word WAKE to 444-999. I'm Eric Erickson of The Resurgent. This has been an excerpt of my new book, Before You Wake.